I'm going to assume that few, if any of you, know that logo. That is where I went to junior high school. It no longer exists. Well, the building's still there, but they have changed the name. They merged with other middle school. They don't even call it junior high anymore. My elementary school's even gone. It's, it's been wiped away and been replaced by an academy. I mean, things just change, but I digress. Uh, I show this emblem, this logo, uh, to really to remind myself and to kind of show you a little bit about me and kind of this year that I was in junior high. It was eighth grade, and we were playing football. I remember a practice in which our coach took one of the players who he was mad at, grabbed him by the shoulder pads, threw him down to the ground, stood over him, and he barked at him and pointed his finger at him. That got our attention. That player eventually left. I was the fortunate one that that player left and that I got to take his place and I became a first stringer. (laughs) Uh, I was about this height when I was in eighth grade. I played on the line, the offensive line. Now, as I grew older, everybody else outgrew me and I no longer played on the offensive line. But I remember one particular practice. I mean, you know, you just have some of those moments that you just always remember. And the coach was yelling at the offensive line about what we were doing. And he came by, and he, I'm, I'm in position, so I'm in my stance. And, he, and you know those football pants, they're thin. They're not real thick. And he came behind me, and he slapped me. And he said, fire off the ball. I fired off. <laughs> I hadn't been spanked like that in a long time. <laughs> that sucker hurt. A little later, though, we were playing some games, and I remember, now this was a very rare thing. I didn't know it at the time. We were all kind of a small line. Uh, you know, I, I didn't realize that all the other offensive lines were bigger than we were. We were. Our biggest lineman was called up to the ninth grade, so uh, we were kind of a small line. But what Coach did uh, to kind of boost us a little bit, I got my name in the paper several times. And I didn't know that, I mean, I knew at the time Coach did that. He, he was the one that submitted that. The writer of the article never even showed up to the games. He waited till Coach got that out there. You know what that did to us? We wanted to play for him. Now, we wanted to do really well for him. There was a part of us that was afraid of him, certainly. But that's not the reason we played our hearts out for him. We wanted to please him. We wanted to do our best for him. We went 8-1 and one that season, and we tied for district. And the only reason I, I'm just, I'm a little biased here, but we didn't win district because our running back was hurt that game, that one game. Now, we might have lost anyway, but that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, I believe we would have won district. We, because of that coach. I say all that to say this. We're going to be a congregation that pleases God. Not because just we fear Him, because certainly we do. We know what God is capable of. We know that if He brings judgment upon us, that kind of judgment that He can bring. But that's not the reason we want to please Him. We want to please Him for the love that He has shown us, for the sacrifice that He gave, and for the God and Creator that He is. I don't know that Michael intended to open the service that way, looking at my sermon. I don't know if he looked at all. But it certainly fits. That's the kind of people we need to be a congregation that pleases God. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 1 
as Paul is writing to a congregation in Thessalonica, he says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. That is what we ought to be about. We ought to be a... Our, our names are not in the paper, folks. They're in the book of life. And for that, we ought to praise Him. For that, we ought to be a congregation that collectively we are pleasing Him. And I want to look at some things that we can do to make sure that we, as a group, as a congregation, are pleasing to God. Number one, John 13 and verse 34, Jesus has His disciples there and He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Jesus says this is a new commandment. I want you to know that to love one another was actually in the Old Testament. He says, love your neighbors yourself. That's not new. What's new? He says, as I've loved you. That's different. To love you as I love myself is one thing. To love you like Jesus loved you or loved me, that's different. That's higher. That's a greater standard. And so he has called upon us. And notice that he's talking to his disciples. He is telling them not to love the world, not to love even the neighbors in the world. That wasn't his point. You know, the apostles were about to go through some very difficult, challenging times. So to prepare them, he says, you need to have one another's back. You need to support one another. I'm not going to be here. Make sure you love each other in my absence like I will love you. And so today, here we are. Yes, Jesus is in our presence, but not physically and not in that way. But certainly, we stand together and we're called to love one another as He did. As He has loved us, we love each other. We need to have each other's backs. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. You know what that's saying? I love you today, I'll love you more tomorrow. And I'll love you more the next day. And all we're going to do, the more time we spend together, the more effort we put into it, the more sacrifice we make for each other, the more we're going to love each other. This year, Lori and I celebrated 25 years of marriage. I love her more now than I did the day we were married. And I'm missing her because I've been a week without her. The more we've gotten to know each other, the more comfortable we are with each other, the more we share with each other. All of those things increase our love and it abounds more and more. That's what we ought to be doing as the family of God to be increasing and abounding, to not look at myself and say, that's what I want, but to look at you and say, what do you need? What is it that you want? What can I do to sacrifice myself for you? Because that's the love that Jesus had for you. That's the love that Jesus had for me. 1 Peter 3 and verse 8 says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. I think it interesting that he says love as brothers. Brothers sometimes don't love very well. Sometimes they have conflict. Siblings have conflict. 
And I will tell you from um, Lori's perspective, nothing breaks her heart more than when the brothers aren't getting along. When the siblings aren't getting along, that hurts her. You think that's any different with God? You think he hurts any less? I would dare say he hurts more when we don't work to get along. But the interesting thing, the reason I think it's interesting that he uses the word brothers, something we tell our kids all the time, you can be mad at one another for a little while, but eventually you got to get along. You know why? You're stuck together. You're part of the family. And so you better work it out. And so we try to guide them and teach them in ways to work those things out because that would be miserable, wouldn't it? If all you did was hate each other all the time and be at odds against one another, it's miserable. So we try to help them solve those issues and problems because ultimately they are stuck with one another. If you want to be in Christ, you're stuck with one another. Your family. And so there are going to be things that you disagree with one another. You're going to be at odds with one another. Personality conflicts, they occur. Get over it. (laughs) Work it out. Matthew 18, Matthew 5, both of them teach us, go to the person and work it out. And when you do that, you'll have a a restored relationship. The relationship likely will be stronger than before you even talk to the person. So increase in that. Love as brothers. Recognize the fact that we're family. So number one, a congregation that wants to please God is one who loves. Love ought to abound at College Park Church of Christ. Number two, Matthew 28 and verse 19, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things and that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So we have a responsibility within the congregation. This is the mission of the church. If it's the mission of the church, it's the mission at College Park Church of Christ. We are to take the message of the gospel, we're to take that into all the world so that we can gain disciples. And I want to look at that concept in two different ways. First of all, we are to go and make disciples. We are to go and save those that are lost. Romans 1 and verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. I want you to recognize and realize something that you already know and recognize and realize. I'm just going to bring it to your attention. You already know this. You know that the gospel is the power to save because you've obeyed it. You know it's the good news. You know that the sacrifice that Jesus made and therefore you were baptized through that gospel and into his death buried with him in baptism and has been risen to walk in newness of life. So you know the power that the gospel has. How unfair it would be for you to not share that with others. How unloving would that be for you to not share that with others. My wife loves a good garage sale. She doesn't like shopping. My daughter would rather go shopping at the mall. My wife is like, whatever. She's not a fan. She loves a good garage sale. I think she likes a deal. And she likes things that are old. She doesn't really like things that are new. So if you knew, this even, I don't know if you can read that, but the sign says passport to the past. So they've got some good old stuff. That's what they're trying to say at this garage sale. If you knew about that garage sale and you knew my wife was in town, you didn't tell her. You know she's going to be upset. 
Why didn't you tell me? I don't want to get to heaven and somebody look at me and say, why didn't you tell me? When we're standing before the judgment seat of Christ. You knew about this and you didn't tell me. See, we know the power of the gospel. We know that it's the power to save. We need to take that to others. We need to be a congregation that is all about the mission. The second part of that mission in Matthew 28 is teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. We also have a responsibility, not just to the lost, but also to the saved. And that's to make sure that we know the commands of God, that we are following the commands of God, and that we're encouraging one another to observe the things that God has commanded. In Hebrews 3 and verse 12, it says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You know, one of the things that makes the church so unique is the idea that we are such a family that we can call on one another to encourage one another, make sure that we're doing the right thing so that we don't go back out into the world. You know, several months ago, uh, I rejoined Weight Watchers. At Weight Watchers, I was doing pretty well. As long as I go to the meetings, I have a real hard time with the online option only. I really need those meetings. I need to stand on a scale and somebody to go, I'm writing that down. That that is very helpful to me. Uh, Let me tell you, COVID has messed that up for me. Uh, The online option does not work for me. I need the accountability. You know that concept God knew. And he knew that 2,000 years ago. And that's why we assemble the way that we do. We come here to encourage one another. But I want you to know That's not just when we come together in the assembly. That's not what a family does. Our family doesn't get together just on a weekly basis. Our family gets together every day and we have a meal together. We're a family. And so we need to be encouraging one another every day. Because we need that strength from one another. Of course, the assembly is an important aspect of that. But that's not the only aspect of that. That's the point I'm trying to make. So we need to be a congregation that pleases God by the love that we have for one another and our efforts in evangelism. Number three. 1 Corinthians 14 and 26. How is it then, brethren? Whenever you come together, each, one, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edification. To edify is to build. That's what that means. That's why that building is sitting there like that. It's, we're building up that that building. That's the effort that we're trying to make. So when we come together in the assembly, what we ought to be doing is edifying, building each other up. That takes forethought. That's not, hey, I'm going to get up in the morning or I'm going to stay up late on Saturday night. I'm going to do whatever I want to do on Saturday night. And I'm going to get up at the last minute. Hopefully we get the kids ready, roll them out of bed and we get to the assembly and I sit there and I'm nodding off through half the sermon not really into the song service for whatever reason it might mean you go to bed a little earlier on Saturday night that you wake up a little early on Sunday morning maybe you spend some time in prayer before you ever get to the assembly maybe you spend some time talking to the family about what to expect for the assembly it's going home with the message and talking to the rest of your family about what the assembly was all about it's about forethought and putting our effort into it It's about making sure that I don't come to the assembly and say, what are they going to do for me today, but what am I going to do for them? What am I going to do to encourage and to build up? 
When you have an assembly full of takers, it will be an emptying assembly. But when you have a, full, a, a congregation full of givers, the congregation will be full. That's what we ought to be doing is giving in the assembly. Make sure that we are building each other up. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 15, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit. I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. When it comes to singing, put your heart into it. I don't have the best voice. You may not have the best voice. So what? Put your everything in it. This doesn't say I will sing with the best voice. I will sing with only the right tone. It doesn't say that. It says with the Spirit and with the understanding. That doesn't mean we can't learn to try to get better with our singing. Don't misunderstand me. But what God really wants is for us to sing out, to do what we can to build one another up. To have an edifying singing. To consider what's being said at prayer so that when it's over, we can all say amen to what's being said. You know, he goes on and talks about how, we, how are we going to say amen to something we don't understand. You know, sometimes it's my fault because I let my mind wander. How can I say amen to something I don't know what he said because I was thinking about something else? So we need to put our heart and our effort into building one another up. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 12. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Notice that he says that it be for the edification of the church, for the building up of the church that you seek to excel. It doesn't say that you seek to get by. That you seek to be okay. That you seek to be average. It's that you seek to excel. Could you imagine if you're Noah, you're given these specs of the ark and you seek to be okay, to be average. What do you think he measured just right? Made sure that he got exactly the right wood, the right length, the right everything. Was the window where it was supposed to be? Was the door where it's supposed to be? It wasn't, hey, this will be good enough. God knew what Noah needed, and he gave it to him exactly the way he needed it. I don't know if you've read very much in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and read the specs to the tabernacle. It's a pretty boring read. It's pretty detailed, though. And sometimes in that detail, you read something even in what you might consider boring and go, that was fantastic. That's so interesting. Sometimes... It's the way we look at it. But they were very specific. God was specific on what he wanted with the tabernacle. Do you think the priest ever went out there and said, threw, kind of threw it together and said, ah, oh, that's good enough? Nadab and Abihu thought that one time it was good enough, and it sure wasn't, was it? No, it was a matter of seeking to excel. Temple was no different. That was a massive, wonderful, beautiful temple because it was made for God. They didn't just get by. It wasn't about being average. It was about excelling. And what we need to do in the congregation is make sure that we are doing everything we can to seek to excel to build you up, not me. Think about for a moment, if everybody is about building you up, you know what? You're going to be built up. And so you focus on building everybody else up 
and you'll be built up. That's how it works. But if I'm focused on how to build me up, I'm going to be disappointed. In some way or another, the song's not going to go just the way I want it to go. The prayer's going to be too long, maybe even too short. He didn't mention this. I can't believe that. I'm going to get through half of the sermon and go, (laughs) man, he's going a long time. Even if it's five minutes into it. Because it's not about the preacher, then it's about me. It's not about edifying him, it's about edifying me. That means we will always leave disappointed. But if my focus is to edify you, I'll always leave filled. Because everybody's do, if everybody will do the same. So let's focus on excelling to build one another up. So to please God, to be a congregation that pleases God, we need to have love with one another, we need to be evangelistically minded, and we need to edify, seek to excel to edify one another. Number four. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I want you to know that this chapter is all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because Jesus was resurrected, you can have confidence that you will be resurrected as well. He takes 58 verses to get there. 57. To get to this point. Your labor is not in vain. Why? Because there's a resurrection. So get to work. And work hard. This congregation needs to be a congregation that pleases... If it's going to be one that pleases God, it needs to be one that is active and working and laboring. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. You know, Jesus brought salvation through his sacrifice and therefore we see his grace and that grace ought to motivate us as his people to be a people that are excited, zealous, passionate about good works. Sean didn't have a cow story. I do. I have a cow story. You know, you spend enough time with Sean, you're going to get a cow story. But I had to read this one. I, he didn't share this with me or anything like that. I, I had to read it. I don't get experiences with cows. So, but I have one anyway. There's a story about a farmer who did what a lot of people do. And he went to church on Christmas. That was the second time that year he'd been to church. The last time was Easter. And as he was there at church, the preacher talked about uh, Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 3, which a very basic paraphrase is, the animals recognize and consider their masters. My own people don't recognize and consider me. That's the basic idea. So the farmer goes back out to the field, and he's wandering around the cows, and the next thing he knows, there's a cow that's licking his hand. And he breaks down in tears. And he says, my cow gets it more than I do. My cow appreciates me more than I have appreciated God. We ought to be a people that's zealous of good works because of the sacrifice and the care and the love that God has shown to us. We should be a people zealous of good works. We are his special people. And that ought to motivate us to go out and do his work. So, a congregation that pleases God needs to have love, needs to have an evangelistic spirit, needs to edify one another, and we need to be an active 
membership. And it all starts with leadership. That's where it starts. I opened with talking about my eighth grade football coach, how we went eight and one. The very next year, we sat down in a meeting with our next head football coach. And this is the first thing he said to the, to the team. Y'all got lucky last year. You know how many games we won that next year? About half. You know, I wasn't interested in pleasing that man. I just wasn't. I didn't have quite the energy. Nobody else did either. And it all started with leadership. If he'd have followed that same example, perhaps we would have played more, better. You know, as a line, we were pretty small. We rose to the challenge because of the coach before. In this case, we didn't. It all starts with leadership. I want, you, I want to show you some things about leadership and its relationship to all these things about how a congregation should be to please God. Hebrews 13 and verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Who watches out for your soul? The elders do. The leadership does. Why do they watch out for your soul? Because they love you. They set the standard. They set the bar apart from Christ. They set the bar for what kind of love ought to be in a congregation. So what should our response be? Obey them. Be submissive. Don't make it any harder than than it already is. Because they watch out for your soul, because they love you, it grieves them when you don't love each other. It makes them hurt. Just like a mother watches her two kids that can't get along with one another. So they set the standard. They, They show you what it means to love by loving you. So obey and be submissive to them. We also see in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 17, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. You know, elders don't only care about you, but they care about those that are outside the flock, that they want them to be a part of the flock. They care about the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They want to make sure that this community knows about Jesus Christ. And so they go out and they are laboring in the word and doctrine. Don't muzzle them. Don't keep them from that. Now, obviously, this is talking specifically about being able to support a, a man who does that in the office of an eldership. But there's other ways that we can support them that aren't just that. Other ways that we tie up their time because of the last thing we talked about, because we're not doing what we, what we ought to be doing that they're not helping you to be a congregation that accomplishes the mission of Jesus Christ to save souls. Number three, Hebrews 13 and verse 7, Remember those who rule over you who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. The elders have spoken the word of God to you. That's what they do. They've spoken it. (coughs) They speak it. So they are... Considering you, consider the outcome of their conduct. Follow their faith. 
I can tell you of a surety that the elders here want nothing but an edifying assembly when they, we come together. That's what they want. That's what they desire. They put a lot of thought into that. How things are going to go. How things are going to run. How you are going to be able to participate to make sure that the situation, the whole congregation is about edifying one another. They speak the word of God to you. So remember those who rule over you because that's what they're trying to do. And number four, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 12 And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. The elders are busy. The elders are also showing you what it means to get out there and be active and work. So recognize that labor. And when they admonish you to go to work, go to work. Don't sit back and complain about the work that they might be giving you to do. Just go to work. Because they're admonishing you to do that. They know what's best for the congregation. They even know what's best for you. Sometimes, I can tell you as a parent, my kids sometimes, they don't know what's best for them. I do. And even when I explain it, because you get that awful question, why? And you explain why. And this was really bad about one of my sons. We would explain why, and he'd say, well, but. (laughs) And then you explain it a little more. Well, but. And we figured out he was asking why, trying to talk himself out of it. So we quit telling him the reason. We just say, go do it. Here's why. Don't say, don't say another word. Just don't argue with me. Just go. Just go. You might ask your elders why. That's a fair question. They might tell you why. Leave it at that and go do it. Because sometimes they know better than you do. They just know things you don't. And that's okay. That's the position that they're in. And they love you and they care for your soul. They watch out for your soul. So they labor, they work, they show you that example in that work. Anybody get it tattooed on their arm? <laughs> Ephesians four eleven through 16. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Notice some things about this passage. First of all, as Sean talked about last Sunday, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers were put into those offices to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Till we all come to the unity of faith. So that we are a congregation that does these things. We speak the truth. We're speaking. We're edifying. He says we're working, causing growth. We're growing. We're edifying. And in love. Man, isn't that interesting that all those things are in there about how a congregation should be able to please God and it's our elders and leaders that are leading the way. 
We ought to be following them. We ought to be doing what they ask. I want you to consider for a moment that there are some congregations. They're rare. There's a few of these congregations. But there are some congregations that don't have teachers in their congregation. They have to import their teachers from other places. Just to be frank with you, to be honest with you, those churches are dying. Because they don't have anybody there to lead them in this way. To equip them in this way. There are more congregations that just have teachers, probably than any other kind of congregation that we have, that we associate with, that we know very well. That's all they have are teachers. Some are dying. Most are just struggling. Because it's difficult to get to this without proper and effective leadership. There are other congregations like Tulsa, where I'm at, where all we have evangelists, and we have teachers. We're getting there. We hope to be getting to that point. There are also some other congregations that have an elder, have eldership, and they don't have an evangelist. Those congregations typically are doing pretty well. Not all of them, but most of them. It, you see I'm going up <laughs> in how they're doing. You know what College Park has? They have elders and evangelists and teachers that can be helping you do this. There are a few of those around that have that. And that means that you ought to be a congregation for sure that is pleasing to God. I don't know what this does. I'll just be honest with you. I don't know. But I know that it has valves. I know that it has pipes. And you know, you can probably go to Home Depot or Lowe's or something like that. And you can find those valves. You might even be able to find some of those pipes, those joints. That Michael's going, mm, this isn't my world. I don't know where you get them, okay? You get the idea. I don't know where you go to get the bolts and the, all those things. I don't. But I know this. If you go to Home Depot and you find one of those valves, you could probably turn it back and forth. They probably recognize that it's doing what it's supposed to do. You pick up a pipe and you can look through it and you realize what it's supposed to do. You could probably fill it up a little bit with water and then kind of turn it and make sure that there's no leaks and kinds of things. And you, you figure out it's meant to do one thing. It's to keep things, certain things out and to keep certain things in so that that thing, whatever it is, that liquid or gas or whatever, goes to the place it's supposed to go. It's a pretty simple function. And you can test it out and make sure that it's going to do the job that it's supposed to do. But let me tell you something. It's not going to do what it's supposed to do until it's with the rest of the system. What makes the whole thing work is not the part individually, but it's by every joint that's supplied. It's you doing your part, working with the others doing their part, so that the joint supplied makes everything fit together and work. But you know what happens if you're not doing your part? The whole thing is, a mal- is going to malfunction. It's not going to work properly. Maybe a busted valve so gas is leaking. Or maybe gas isn't going where it ought to go. Maybe you need to be the valve and you become disconnected from the group. Get back in the group. Do what you ought to be doing. Tie in with everyone. Get binded with everyone. When you consider a weld, and I'm not a welder. Sean, if I'm wrong, correct me. 
But if you take two pieces of pipe and you do a weld correctly, the weld is stronger than the pipes. Is that correct, Sean? See what happens when we work together? That joint is stronger than when we work alone. We are a part of a congregation. It's that leadership that is guiding us to help us to edify one another in love that causes growth in the body. We need to accept the equipping. Whatever they ask us to do, learn how to do that and be a congregation that pleases God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4 says, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. We do not need to be worried and concern ourselves with pleasing men. We need to be a congregation that pleases God. And it starts with listening, submitting to, and obeying the leadership that's trying to equip us in love, with an evangelistic spirit and heart, with edification in the assembly, and by being active, whatever they need for us to do, we step up and do. I want you to know if you're going to be a congregation that is pleasing to God, it starts with you. Not anybody else. You can't look at anybody else and say, well, that's what they need to do. Nope. It starts with you. If you'll do your part and others do their part, the whole thing will be a well-oiled machine. May God bind you together today.